I thought I would just get that on the table right at the beginning. Some of you who know the game Monopoly, and if you're my age or older, you certainly have played that game, and I'm sure there's some younger ones who have played it as well. There is that dreaded card, go to jail. Go directly to jail, do not pass go, do not collect 200. And you just find your way going to jail and losing all your money. As you read the lesson from Matthew today, you can feel like you got the biblical equivalent of the jail card. Go to hell. Go directly to hell, do not pass go, do not collect 200. The Bible can be very dangerous, and it can be very dangerous in a bad way, and it can be very dangerous in a good way. Today, my interest is looking at the danger of the Bible to convert us, to transform us to humble us, to break our pride so that God can dwell in us and do more in us than we can ask or imagine. To bring us beyond our natural limitations, to go above and beyond. So let's go ahead and look at this lesson for a minute. Um, Chris asked you to read this lesson. He asked you to read Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew 5 through 7. And he didn't do that just to be quaint. He's not trying to mimic the Methodists or the Presbyterians. He actually wanted you to read it. And here's why. If you look at the lessons and prepare for them, they can be dangerous in a good way. But if you just show up and get this laid on you, you can walk out thinking either it's not for me or worse, you can take it to heart and feel like God intends to doom us to hell. So that reading ahead, that looking at the sermon in, at, on the mount in its entirety is actually meant to bring us to this moment ready for a good, dangerous scripture. So what Jesus is doing here is something that many teachers did at the time. You've heard it before. He has a rhetorical formula. You have heard that it was said, but I say. You have heard that it was said, but I say taking something ancient, taking something well-known, and then taking it to its extreme or talking about it in a way that jars the listener. What on earth is he talking about? And that's the idea. Jesus is getting people's attention. He also is serious about calling people to a life of holiness. Remember last week, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. We should never dismiss this as he didn't really mean that. What Jesus is trying to do is get us to go even under the law and to look at ways that the law is insufficient in itself. It requires the grace of himself to bring the law to fruition. So here's a few examples that we heard today. You have heard that it was said of those of ancient times, you shall not murder and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Or then, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Whoever divorces his wife, 
let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. What Jesus has done there, whether you know it or not, is actually put everyone on the same playing field. Because when you hear these, you understand, I have been angry with a brother or sister, or I have had lustful thoughts or committed adultery, or maybe I have had divorce. Right there, it's like we're now all on the same playing field. And the question is, does that mean we're all lost, or is that where Jesus needs us to begin working on us. That's what I'm suggesting today. This passage and others like it can be misapplied and misunderstood. It can be dangerous in a bad way. People can go out of church saying, I shouldn't feel angry no matter how badly I've been treated. Sexual feelings and desires are wrong. I shouldn't get divorced no matter how serious the abuse or neglect. You see how this works? You take a passage like this, you apply it literally to your life, and it can become a very blunt instrument and cause a great deal of harm. Today's passage, the ones that Jesus is talking to today actually are those who follow the law. Those who adhere their behavior to what the law expects and therefore have pride in it and judge others who do not measure up to their code of conduct. Not just the Pharisees, but any one of us who somehow feels, hey, I am doing it the way the Bible says, I am on track, and therefore that gives me the ability to judge others. That is who Jesus is talking to today. Jesus gets under the law, and what he gets at is the spirit of the law. So even if you follow the law in its entirety, when we talk about the law, we're talking about the Ten Commandments, what godly play calls the ten best ways. If you think it is enough to simply comply with the Ten Commandments and that's it, you're missing the essence of the Ten Commandments, which is about right relationship with God and our neighbor. So if you meet the Ten Commandments, that's a great beginning. But then the question is, what about your thoughts? What about your heart? Jesus talked to the Pharisees about you're clean on the outside, your vessel is clean, but on the inside it's filthy. And so Jesus is trying to bring our whole being under the law and under his law, which is the law of love. So follow the Ten Commandments is great. It's a necessary condition for healthy community. But then we need to go under that and say, well, now that we've got a good start, How are we doing actually in our relationship with others? If you think I'm making this up or just my interpretation, sometimes you can know what the church is trying to say to you by looking at the collect of the day. You've got your lessons, and then the prayer at the beginning often interprets what's about to happen. Not not always, but sometimes, and today it does. Oh God, the strength of all who put their trust in you, mercifully accept our prayers. And because in our weakness we can do nothing good without you, give us the help of your grace that in keeping your commandments we may please you both in will and deed. I said before that Jesus basically brought us all to the same playing field and that is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is the beginning point. 
That is the place of humility. That is a place of dependence upon God. And we have to start there. We have to get there or Jesus can't do the good work of conversion in us. So if you read this lesson today and if you are chastened or if you feel that somehow you are indicted, thanks be to God because it means that you're paying attention, that your heart is open, and that you're ready for conversion of life that Jesus can bring. Some of you may remember the movie in 2010, The King's Speech, and it focused on King George VI in the early 20th century who had a terrible stutter. And it was a problem because his country was at war and he needed to deliver a speech and speeches that would rally his people, that would give them courage and strength for what they were about to face, and he could barely speak a sentence. The movie shows that many of his early childhood experiences had impacted the king's ability to speak clearly. A natural lefty, he was forced to use his right hand. Knock-kneed, he was forced to wear metal braces that were very painful. And when his stutter began to emerge around four or five, his male family members, brothers and father, would mimic and exploit his vulnerability, trying to toughen him up. None of that worked. None of that was effective in helping him deal with his stutter. As an adult, he went to doctors and tried different remedies, but all of them were coercive. They were harsh. They were, in a sense, trying to break this deficit of his. It was only when he discovered Lionel Logue, a compassionate and curious teacher, that he began to make strides. Lionel didn't use force. He didn't use abuse or exploitation. He used friendship, kindness, humor, and grace. There's some great quotes when the royal family was first considering whether to accept Lionel's help. Lionel said to Queen Elizabeth, well, we need to have your hubby pop by. Tuesday would be good. He can give me his personal details. I'll make a frank appraisal, and then we'll take it from there. To which Queen Elizabeth responded, doctor, forgive me, I don't have a hubby. We don't pop, nor do we ever talk about our private lives. No, you must come to us. And then Lionel said to the queen what Jesus says to us. I'm sorry, Mrs. Johnson. My game, my turf, my rules. That's what Lionel had to say to the queen in order to get the king in a place where he could make changes. And I suggest to you that's what Jesus is saying to us. My game, my turf, my rules. You have to trust me. I have your best at heart. So as the king is meeting with Lionel, there's a point where Lionel wants him to sing his words instead of speak them. Remember, this is the royal family. And the king says, I'm not going to sit here warbling. Lionel replied, you can with me. And the king said, because you're peculiar. And Lionel said, I take that as a compliment. Jesus is peculiar. Jesus is our friend. Jesus will keep us company as we do this work of moving into the law of love. He creates an atmosphere of grace, of trust, of kindness. This is not about just beat the devil out of you. This is about coming so close that we're infused with the love of God. In 10 days, we have Ash Wednesday. We'll have that smear 
of dust on our foreheads and we'll hear, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. And the priest says that to you not in harshness, not in condemnation, but in gentleness, in truth. We are human. And the whole season of Lent is to get in touch with the ways that we are human for better and for worse and to look unflinchingly at ourselves and to be led into that law of love, which is conversion. That is right on our doorstep. The message of today's gospel is not that we're going to hell. The message is that we're destined for heaven, but we can only live into that reality with God's help. God does not abandon us to sin. God sent Jesus to make a way in the wilderness where even the fool cannot get lost. In baptism, God pours out the Holy Spirit so that we can live in trust, not fear. And in communion, God feeds us with the water of life and the bread of heaven. It's not just what you do in your personal spiritual life. It's when you come together like this with other pilgrims and get the nourishment you need for the wilderness. The upcoming season of Lent is not a time of fear. It's not a time of self-loathing. It's a time to see our condition clearly and to lean into the grace of Jesus Christ. When we do this, God will lift us up above and beyond our limitations and fulfill the law in us by his grace. Amen.